The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Put your pencils down, because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome, eager young learners, to another edition of the Star Seminar, your master class in footballology. This, as you know, is a team taught course, and I am joined, as always by Professor Emeritus, world-famous scholar of football, Dr. Danny Phantom. How are you today, sir? Oh, you know, that's a fantastic in, uh, intro there, Rab. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little stressed uh, right now. We're trying to get, uh, my wife is going through some um, some uh, credit card issues that we got going on because of some fraudulent charges. So, you know, that's never a fun time. And, uh, you know, everything's going to be taken care of. But it's always an inconvenience, uh, you know, if you have to cancel your card and wait for another one to come. So, of course, this isn't the, the best time of the year for something like that to, to go down um, with you know, the holiday season and the Christmas shopping going on. So I, I'm a little um, I'm a little agitated uh, with all of this. Uh, so, yeah, that's my mood. I, I, have you ever what's the last time that somebody tried to scam you, Rabs? Well, it's funny that you that you uh, that you asked that because I'm actually sort of in between scams right now. One, one where uh, not that I'm committing, but the I, I, one that I um, I suffered, and another one that I'm trying to prevent. So I'll I'll, I'll kind of quickly outline this. The first is uh, this is not something that happened to me personally. It happened to me uh, at, uh, for the for the nonprofit organization that I run. We actually wrote a four thousand dollar check to a vendor that it didn't get there. It didn't get there, and the vendor kept saying like, "Where's did you write the check?" And I, I could tell they thought that we were just either stiffing them or you know giving them the old check is in the mail thing. It never arrived, and then and then I noticed that it uh, it was cashed in our bank, and someone had overwritten it for twelve thousand dollars. So we just took a twelve thousand dollar hit. Uh, you know, our, our, our business. We're trying. You know, our bank is trying to um to recover it but i you know that that's always a dicey proposition so someone at some point i don't know where intercepted the check i put it in the mail and um and uh overwrote it and apparently that's this is happening a lot these days it's a there's a whole it's it's a it's a it's an endemic 
thing. And the other is my wife and I, uh, for her best friend's 50th birthday, are going to go to Portugal, to Lisbon, to celebrate that. And then my wife and I are going to take a little side trip to Marrakesh. And so one of the things we're, we're trying to do is to study up on how to avoid getting scammed in Marrakesh because uh, Marrakesh is awesome, but it's also there's a lot of people who like to prey on European and especially American tourists. So we're just trying to figure out what we need to do to make sure we don't get pickpocketed and all that kind of thing. So uh, very apropos question, um, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted on, on whether or not we're able to recover the, the money from, uh, from, uh, the, you know, from the check that we wrote that was intercepted and overwritten. And, and it, the, the funny thing is, like, I got a, a, a sort of photocopy of the check from my bank, and the person, I mean, it's so clear, they just, like, put some tape on it or something and wrote on top of it, and you can still see my writing, like, underneath it and everywhere. It's just, it's just it's such an such an like obvious like obviously bad uh forgery quote unquote um but you know i mean when you have automatic when you have automatic deposits on uh, you know on your camera phone um it's just really easy to do that and their, their software is probably not sophisticated enough to to detect it i'm sure a teller probably would have noticed but i i don't know that um i don't know that you know a sort of camera photo deposit that it would that, that they have the sophisticated enough technology to notice that it's you know overwritten with somebody else's writing. Yeah, no, this, this the stuff like this really you know gets under my skin. I I hate I hate it. I tell you, I, it's it's not just the money thing, but it's just a lot of it is just the annoyance and the and the principle of it. And I don't know if I've told you this story before, Rabs, but uh, I had lost a football bet um, years ago, and uh, maybe five, six, seven, I don't know. Um, years ago, but the, the gist of it is, I had to wear an Aaron Rodgers jersey at our Super Bowl party, and uh, oh. of course that was just excruciating to do that. But I thought I'd be clever because I would just—I didn't want to wear a Packers jersey when I always wear a Super Bowl jersey, you know, a Cowboys jersey. Um, so I thought it was clever, and I ordered a Pro Bowl Aaron Rodgers jersey. And I think you know what? If I'm going to own an Aaron Rodgers jersey, that's the one I want. You know, he represents NFC, so whatever. I thought I was going to. Thought I was smart. Well, it turns out I ordered it, paid for it. Uh, then they tell me, well, they don't have it. So, and it was out of stock. So, um, so I got my money back, but they charged me a $12 service fee. And I'm thinking, mm. what kind of service did you provide? And I actually, believe it or not, I tried to order another one because I actually thought that this company was out of stock. And this exact same thing happened. It's like, it, it was just a scam. They're, they're, what they're hoping for is like, we're so happy to get our money back for the jersey that, oh, okay, fine, we'll eat the $12. And and then if you do that enough times, then, you know, they, they, there's you're making money. But yeah, that that annoyed me. No, but I fought it even for my $12. I felt like the, you know, the paper boy from, uh, you know, the John Cusack movie or better off that. You know, like, where's, where's my $12? But uh, yeah, there's, you're not getting that from me. No way. I know what you're up to. Things like that just really annoy me. But um. I don't know. I do not like scams. And, you know, speaking of scams, Rav, you know, I want to ask you, are the, are the Dallas Cowboys trying to scam us? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, our good, the good friend of the show, uh, our good friend, Daniel, Daniel Houston, who runs the site, uh, Cowboy Stats and Graphics, um, Put out put out some tweets a couple days ago about the Cowboys. Um, he loves EPA, right? Which is expected points uh, added, I believe. Everybody and, should, um, by the way. What's that? Everybody should love EPA. 
They sh- you should. I think it's a really accurate uh, measure of a team's strength. And um, he uses EPA in really interesting ways to sort of make, you know, to sort of make larger um, claims about, about the game. And one of the things he was talking about with the Cowboys is if you take out the EPA from their turnover plays, so you, the turnover plays both that they got uh, in their favor against Indianapolis, but the ones that they that were not in their favor against the Giants and, and then last weekend against the Texans, that they've been actually very consistent, that they've been plus about somewhere between 13, 15, 12 points against every opponent all the way, all the way back. Um, and so in some ways was comforting, but it also just sort of underscores how important I, it is that the Cowboys stop, um, especially with for those sort of first half turnovers that keep games close. You know, I mean, people are always talking about the Cowboys come out lackadaisical or they're playing with their food. I don't know that that's necessarily the truth. I think they're just, um, you know, they're giving away a possession and giving teams, uh, opposing teams, an extra possession through these turnovers by trying to be aggressive in, in the first half of games when they don't necessarily need to be because they're better than other teams. Um, and so I think, I think the fact that we thought they were going to come out and murder the Texans and it was going to be like 37 to 10 is part is part of the problem, right? Like it, it's really hard to win in the NFL. People, you know, sort of more sober pundits have been reminding us how hard it is to win in the NFL. Um, I, I, you know, they, they did pull it out when, when they needed to. The, the defense came up with a glorious goal line stand. I mean, just I mean, re, rewatch that in real time. It's incredible. Like the play after play after play, because they had like a second down on the, on the one. I mean, oh, it was yeah. incredible the, the, how how they did, uh, how they held them out. Um, and then, and then, of course, you know the, the drive of the game, the one, the one drive in the game where they were really able to sort of pass and find, find consistently find um, seams in, in the Texans' zone defense. So, I know you and I had a conversation after the Packers game in which we sort of said, "Hey, here's some patterns that are beginning to emerge." I, I think that some of those patterns um, have not continued, and so the Packers game, in, in many respects, continues to, or now begins to look like, rather, um, a sort of blip on the radar. I think that for the most part, the run defense has been better since the Packers game. Um, you know, the Texans didn't run the ball well at all. They had, they had one long run, but for the most part, they, you know, they averaged like 2.5 yards a carry. Other than that, a uh, lot, of, lot of stops in the backfield, and they did a really nice job stopping the, the Texans running game for the most part. Uh, really what happened is the Texans got a, a, a long pass that should have been an incompletion and then two incredibly short fields. And that, that you know, that, that kept them in the game. So this is all a way of saying, I think if the Cowboys are just better at protecting the ball, at playing cleaner, they're going to be just fine. I, I, I don't know if they can beat the Eagles. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't know anybody can beat the Eagles right now, but I think they're going to be just fine for at least for the rest of the regular season. Yeah. How about you? Are, are you are you worried? Is there something about that game that, that has you tossing and turning and not getting a good night's sleep? Well, I haven't honestly. I haven't been. It hasn't been a good couple of days because I mean, to me, the, the Terrence Still thing really kind of yeah that gets yep. me a lot because I think um, I don't I don't think people realize just how good he he was playing this season and uh, you know going with with Josh Ball and Jason Peters, which by the way, Josh Josh Ball wasn't as bad as we thought he was and. And Jason Peters wasn't as good as we thought he was. So that whole experiment, I don't even know how that's going to play out, but it's going to be an adventure nonetheless. So I will say this. I'm glad to hear hear you say what you said. And after re-watching the film and, and looking at the plays a little carefully, you know, you do got to tip your cat to some of the – I mean, there's some of the throws that, that Davis Mills was 
he made was really good. And, and Jeff Driscoll, I mean, what he was doing with his legs, they they were they were making plays, you know. And so I don't I don't feel as bad, but I can't help thinking back. You know, we're like a foot away from you know the defense not stopping them at that stand, and them going them going up two scores. And I tell you what, right. the, the game game's over. Yeah, at that point, the whole mm-hmm. field, Cowboy Nation, is a lot is way different if that happens. So I I'm not losing sight of that. I'm a little concerned. Um, I don't necessarily think that the Cowboys are like dilly dallying as much as I feel like maybe they're there's they just feel they just have this confidence about them to where they just think they can overcome anything. I mean, you we you may have saw people may have seen now the the, the sounds of the sideline where Prescott's like we're winning this game, we're winning this game, and that's absolutely you know you want your your team to believe in themselves for sure, but I honestly just feel like they just never thought they were going to lose that game. And even McCarthy afterwards didn't even seem all that. You know, typically this is where Jason Garrett is talking about how we got to clean this up and we got to clean that up. And, you know, he's not impressed at all with what he just saw. Uh, and But McCarthy seems perfectly okay. I, I just, I worry, Ravs. I worry because I feel like, I just feel like I'm watching this movie again. You know, we're going to go in. We're going to, we feel good about what we have. We're going to come out. We're going to have one of those sluggish starts like we did against San Francisco, you know, against a a playoff team, and and we're not going to be able to recover. And uh, so I would be lying if I didn't say I was a little little worried. I think it comes back to what we always say, Rabs. You know, it's and I I do believe this. You probably think you would agree. The Cowboys are one of a handful of teams that can win the Super Bowl this year. But what, what Sunday's game reminded me is this year is not different. It's going to be, they could very easily come out and be flat and just not be good enough. They're going to have to be playing well, and they're going to have to stack these games on top of each other and have things go their way, or it's not going to be any different. Uh, that That's that's how I feel about this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you actually hit on one of two things that I think should be a little bit concerning. I, I don't think the fact that the, that the the game was as close or that they needed to, to, you know, basically take it to with, to within, you know, 30 seconds of the, of the, of time remaining or something to, to win. I don't not so concerned about that. It's hard to win in the NFL. And, and, and the Texans are actually both not a bad team. Their, their defense is pretty good. And they played, I think was probably their best game of the year. They played really really well it was very clear that they pulled out all the stops on offense and unveiled things they hadn't done all year but they but they clearly been practicing them because they were they were good at them that sort of that sort of quasi wildcat that they did mm-hmm. um i with, with when driscoll came in at quarterback i just felt like they they basically dug deep and threw everything they had at the cowboys and i got to give their coaching staff credit it's a 1 in 10 team so easy for that team to 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 have quit and they did right. and i think the cowboys the cowboys were not ready for that i do i also think the cowboys scored so easily in that first drive and they, they sort of thought okay good it's time for this team to roll over and we're just going to you know we're going to going to it's going to be like the fourth quarter against the colts so that 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 part doesn't really concern me so much um, it happens. It, it's human nature not to get up for every game. It's hard. It, it, it's listen, NFL players get in two car crashes or three car crashes or the equivalent of in terms of in terms of contact every game. It's really hard to psych yourself up to do that. Can you imagine every day getting up or, you know, once a week getting up and saying, I'm going to get in three car crashes today. That's hard, man. You get, it's, it's, it's psycho. And so it's really easy to sort of maybe not get quite so geeked up one, one week because you don't need to. Um, 
So I, I get all that. I think I think that the Terrence Steele injury is it's it, it's one of those things where I'm going to wait and see. But I agree with you. It could be the kind of thing where we look back and go, "Yep, that's when the season that's when the season effectively ended right there." Because like the the whole equation on offense is they don't have enough speed and talent on offense um, for the for the for for um, for them to be able to also like take other hits. It's a very delicate equ- equation on offense. And then the other thing is how much trouble Dak in the passing game and the receivers had getting open against the, the Texans soft shell. And it was the sort of soft defensive shell, with a lot of two high, a lot of four high um, that we saw teams use to great effect against the Cowboys last year, right? This, this was the big lament last year was Dak can't beat that kind of coverage. Mm-hmm. Obviously that team teams have been using that against, against guys like Mahomes, and it really, you know, sort of, um, forced him to kind of find new ways to attack. And it seemed, you know, up until this game that uh, if teams were were employing that defensive strategy that it wasn't working, and then suddenly it felt like those passing lanes were shutting down. Uh, You know, Dak loves to throw to Schultz over the middle, loves to throw to C.D. Lamb over the middle, and it just wasn't happening. Like, those guys weren't finding – weren't finding space. And then when they, and then when he was trying to throw, you know, force throws in there, that's when things were getting tipped and their linebackers, the, the, the Houston linebackers had an incredible, incredible defensive uh, effort. Uh, uh, just so many, so many strong plays they made. Um, so I think that the thing that has me most worried is, you know, this whole, I mean, I think we've, we both sort of said we don't believe it necessarily, but the, you know, the, the sort of old blueprint, idea which is that you know what if you what if you don't try to crowd the line and, and worry about the, the cowboys running game you let them run or you know you don't don't worry about that so much and you and you play soft sort of layered coverage and and force the passing game to try to find uh to try to find you know open lanes when they're not very good at it when when the, when wide receivers are not very good at it, and when you don't have a guy over the top who forces the the safeties to play deep deep so uh, you know, it wasn't long after this happened that they signed T.Y. Holton. You know, and I don't think that's—I don't think it's any accident. They've need—they've needed that guy for a while, and um, Gallup has been that guy in the past. I don't know that he's that guy now. I don't know that he's explosive enough to be that guy who, who, uh, you know, you say, okay, fine, you want to—you want to play too high? We're just going to send a guy down the sideline and, and see if your safety can run with him. T.Y. Holton might be able to be that guy, and he's certainly a guy who's a savvy vet who can find you know, the seam in, in his own and then, and, you know, you know, be a good target for, for Dak, uh, catch, make, you know, make a catch, add some yak, that sort of thing. So I think that, um, I think the Cowboys have responded to that this week, but it remains to be seen what, what, whether or not they're going to be effective, you know, responding to it on the field in upcoming weeks, because, you know, Hey, listen, Jonathan Gannon, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, that's the defense they play. Yeah. And they have a much, much better pass rush and defensive line than Houston does. And so, uh, you know, if they're going to make hay against the Eagles and match them punch for punch, they're going to have to find a way in the next 10 to 12 days to be able to beat that kind of coverage because that's that's Gannon's signature. He, he does it in a much more sophisticated way than, um, than I think Houston does. But, you know, Houston confused Dak a little bit. And if, if Philadelphia does, even for a couple series, Dallas is toast against the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. Well, but before we can get to the Eagles, we got to get through the Jaguars. And so um, 
Rabs, what do we got going on for the show today? I am so glad you asked me, my fine feathered friend. Uh, we're going to be joined by JP Acosta, who is a um, who covers both the NFL and college football, and actually recently he's been covering the World Cup uh, at SB Nation. Prior to that, he wrote about the Jaguars for SB Nation's uh, sister site uh, of ours. Uh, big cat country and about the NFL more generally for football outsiders. So I think he's really well positioned to give us some context on an, I think, I think personally a team that's really, really interesting, but that we don't see very often and no, no small part because they're in the uh, AFC South and nobody ever watches the AFC South games. Um, but before we, before he joins us, I do want to ask you a trivia question. You know, usually before we bring the guests on, as we're talking about the upcoming opponent, I ask for favorite games between the two teams. And I like to try to, you know, to make it a little bit more challenging, limit it to the same home away relationship that we're going to be, you know, seeing um, in the upcoming weekend. So in this case, it would be Dallas at Jacksonville. So uh, as we noted correctly last week, the Jags have only been around since 1996. So since 1996, so it's not a huge sample size. Um, but I want to ask you, how many times have the Cowboys played the Jaguars at Jacksonville? Well, Rebs, this seems like a relatively easy question because you can just do the math. And um, so if you do the math, you know, so I mean, you, you play them every four years. And so you'll, you'll visit them every eight years. Of course, now there is a little trick because we know the last time that it was supposed to be uh, in Jacksonville, we actually played in London. So you can remove one of those games there but if you do the math going back from now to, to 96 there's still got to be two times that we would have played the jaguars am i not am i correct no because they first they they, they only played i think they played once between 96 and 2002 and then in 2002 they realigned all the divisions and so the oh, Cowboys played the, the Cowboys played them in Dallas in 2002. They played them at Jacksonville in 2006. They played them at uh, Dallas in, in 2010. That was actually uh, during that sort of stretch where the Cowboys kept losing games and ultimately got, got Wade Phillips fired. Um, and then they played them uh, in what would have been in Jacksonville, but it was the London game. Right. So I, so the, Interestingly enough, even though the, the Jaguars have been around for, you know, 20-something plus year, 20, almost 26 years now, 25, 26 years, Cowboys have only played them one time in Jacksonville, and that was the, that was the uh, home opener uh, for the Jags in 2006, opening weekend, and it was a 24-17 loss in which the Cowboys stormed out to a 10-0 lead thanks to a field goal and a nice Julius Jones run of like 20-plus yards. Then our friend Drew Bledsoe ended up throwing three picks. The Jaguars scored 24 consecutive points and ended up pulling it out. So this is a very, very rare occurrence. We've only we've only seen the Cowboys play the Jags at Jacksonville one other time in in history. That is insane. I bet the people of Jacksonville are like, about time we get to see those Cowboys because. Indeed, because of course the only reason they buy Jaguars tickets is is so they can get those Cowboys tickets once every eight years anyway. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, let's let's bring our friend JP in to confirm all of these speculations, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. All right, students, put away your lattes and your phones and get out your laptops and get ready to take notes because we are joined by a singular guest from the University of Jacksonville, the great professor emeritus JP Acosta. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. I le- I'm ready to talk some Jaguars. So uh, Professor Acosta is a football writer at uh, SB Nation, covers both the NFL and college football. And I saw recently the World Cup as well. You've been doing, covering some World Cup. Um, but prior to that big gig, I also wrote about NFL for Football Outsiders and wrote about uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars more exclusively for uh, SB Nation's Big Cat Country. Um, so I think you're really positioned both as someone who like covers the NFL, but also as someone who, uh, who's been covering the Jags to kind of help contextualize what's been going on in this Jacksonville team, um, you know, both this year, but also in the, in the recent past. So I, I kind of want to start uh, in the last off season, if we could. So last off season, the Jags fired Urban Meyer and they hired Doug Peterson, who we know really well. We're real familiar with Doug from his time, both as a quarterback. So a little, little bit of trivia here. He was the quarterback on the famous game in Philadelphia where Michael Irvin got paralyzed briefly and all the fans cheered um and then later he's the head coach of, of the hated eagles uh he seems to be from our perspective about as diametrically opposed to meyer as one could imagine so uh to just get, give us a sense of like you know what's been going on in, in in jacksonville from a kind of team building culture building uh point you know perspective uh during the peterson uh, administration's you know brief tenure there since he was brought aboard so imagine Last year, imagine last year, you give somebody, you give a car to a 13-year-old or something. Like, hey, this is going to be your 16th birthday gift. When you're ready, you're going to be able to drive this car. Imagine Urban Meyer as the 13-year-old trying to drive this car when he was 13. There's no, he has no idea what he's doing. He has, he doesn't even know where the wheel, where the wheel is supposed to go. He doesn't can't know. even reach the pedals, man. He can't even reach the pedals. That was <laughs> Jaguars last year. They were the worst team in the NFL by far, they were one of the worst teams ever, like, fielded and coached. It was the worst coach team I've ever seen play football. And it just stems to just not knowing what you're doing. I think that's the biggest difference between Doug Peterson and Urban Meyer. It means so much to actually have an adult in the room who knows how to do this football head coaching stuff in the NFL. It's not just about Doug Peterson being an offensive mastermind, a quarterback whisperer. It's just knowing personnel and knowing who you have and what you have. We all know that Urban Meyer didn't know what he was doing. He he barely even knew that Andre Sisco was on the team last year. He didn't even know James Robinson was on the team. There were there were reports that he didn't he didn't even know who Aaron Donald was. That you knew this wasn't going to be a good thing. So Doug Peterson comes in and he breathe, immediately brings structure. He brings a good process and he brings knowing what personnel to use and how to use it. The biggest example of that is. You know, we go and grab Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram in free agency. Both guys probably you balk at Chris, Christian Kirk's price tag. You look at Evan Ingram and say, "Hey, why why are we giving him a chance? Why are they giving him another chance?" Kind of flamed out on the Giants. And now, when you watch them play, Doug Peterson has given them the ability to be at their best and maximize their ability and put them in positions to succeed. With Evan Ingram, it means so much because you know Evan Ingram's fast. You know he's a great athlete. Instead of just running him down the field vertically, have him run away from people horizontally. Have him run across the field. It's a lot harder to guard 53 and a third going across while somebody's running away from you than it is going down the field where you have more people, more help. And with Christian Kirk, it's just the ability to put him in the best positions every single time. They'd have him coming out the backfield. They have him motioning into the slot. They have him coming out from out wide. It's just... It's knowing who you have and what you have. I cannot say like how big of a difference it is 
between like when you watch the game last year and watch this year and being like, okay, I see what the process is here. I see what we're trying to do and I know why we're doing it. I know why we're doing it with these players. So the biggest thing is just process and knowing who you are, knowing what you do well and what you can maximize with the players that you have. Yeah, I I know I was one of those persons that thought, you know, the, the Kirk signing might have been a little bit overpriced, but, um, you know, you, you never know if he's, was he just uh, benefited from the system that they were running in Arizona. Uh, but definitely that's proven that that's not the case. Um, but, you know, you're talking a little more about um, the quarterback whisperer. Um, you know, JP, it, it feels like, like a, a decade ago when, you know, Carson Wentz was all the buzz. He had the, the great 2017 season. Of course, he wasn't able to finish it off because he, he got hurt. Um, so Nick Foles finished things off. But so, you know, so Peterson built up, you know, Wentz to be into like a legit MVP candidate. So now he's got a second chance with uh, another quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. So um, how would you, can you just tell us a lot how Lawrence's development is doing so far? So I think there's been exponential growth in Trevor Lawrence from last year to this year. And I think the biggest thing is seeing the results start to match up with the process. Last year, he was 28th in EPA per play. He was dead last in DYAR. Both of those, he's jumped into the top 10 this year. It's not just about, oh, now he's had, he has better targets. He has better receivers now, which is still a part of the case. I mean, last year, they had guys running into each other, running routes. But this year, it's just seeing the process start to match up with the results. We always knew Trevor Lawrence was a good quarterback. If you watched him play last year, you could see the process and like, oh, I see what he's trying to do here. You probably don't want to do it now, but I see the I see the vision here. Now you see the vision and it's aligning with the results. You're seeing the accuracy in the intermediate levels of the field. He is so good at throwing the ball in the short to intermediate areas with arm strength, with timing. He had a pass. I think it was on an out route to Zay Jones against the Titans, where he just puts it right over the fingertips of a Titans defender. And now you're starting to see the confidence come back. You're starting to see everything get put together. Again, against the Titans last week, there was a throw where Christian Kirk's wide open, like underneath. He can take that throw and get a double. Like if we're comparing to baseball, he can get a double here. But he decides to go for the home run and hit Zay Jones on a post. It probably should have been caught. It probably should have been called for pass interference. But that was a throw right in the breadbasket. You're seeing the process match up with the results, and now you're starting to see the confidence come back. You're starting to see the swagger come back. He started, like, he started jawing at Titans defenders mm. last last week. And now I'm like, okay, I'm, I see how it is. I see what's happening here. Like, people like people say, like, ah, oh, he doesn't have the edge to him. But it was probably there. It was just hidden down beneath all the muck that was last year and getting hit and getting beat down. And now adding Doug Pearson to that and giving him someone – who can say like, okay, here's your process now. I see what you're trying to do, but let's ha- let's do it here instead of here. Let's do it now instead of doing it a little earlier. And you're starting to see those results start to add up. And you're seeing a quarterback possibly develop into one of the best quarterbacks this season. He has legitimately been a top 10 to 12 quarterback this year. Well, that's terrifying. I don't like to hear this at all. Um, it, it, one of the things I, w- I was, you know, listening, I've been listening to some, some stuff uh, as uh, in lead up to the game. And, and one commentator was telling us, I'm not sure if it was a Jaguars, uh, like, you know, someone who covers the Jags um, 
or if it's someone who covered the Cowboys, but they were saying that one of the things that Peterson is doing that's really helping is he's not trying to fix everything at once. He's basically working on one thing at a time. You, you met several times during this conversation, you mentioned process. And I think that's one of the areas where, you know, he's, he's, he's patient in developing the young quarterback. Let's not throw everything at, at, at you. And, you know, he probably needs to work on 10 things, but you can't work on 10 things every game. Right. So like, let's work, let's work on the skill. That's going to be the highest leverage skill. And we'll develop that and get you confident there. And then we can bring on the next one. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I guess what I want to do is sort of follow up on this to say, to sort of ask, what do you think Peterson's going to do? And offensive coordinator, Press Taylor, who he brought with him from Philly, right? So that, so they, you know, they have a good working relationship. What do you think they're going to do to sort of like bring Lawrence along? How are they going to exploit Lawrence's strengths and, and sort of mask the things he still needs to work on against Dallas? And then I guess part two of that was, what, what do you think they're going to do? How do you see them attacking the Dallas defense? And in particular, how are they going to neutralize the Cowboys pass rush? So I think I, I'm going to answer all those. I think I'm going to try in order, but one of the things okay. <laughs> they, they have done really well in these past few weeks in the two game win streak is they have found the weakness of opponents and exploited immediately. The Titans had a weakness on the outside at corner. Trevor Lawrence went after Armani Adams relentlessly. Evan Ingram had two touchdown catches and both of them were on Armani Adams, Andrew Adams over there. They find a weakness, and they will exploit, exploit it so well. If, if it's quick outs, it's intermediate routes. Trevor Lawrence is really good at not only avoiding taking sacks, but getting the ball out on time. He can throw the ball in the intermediate to short levels of the field without necessarily taking sacks or doing dumb plays anymore. I think that's going to really come in handy against the Cowboys, who we know has Trevon Diggs on one side. On the other side, it's still a little bit of a question mark, still trying to figure out who's going to play on that side. And if you come in with a weakness against Doug Peterson, who has an entire week to scheme and watch film and see that this guy's probably not as good as your other guy on the other side, he's going to find that weakness. Mm-hmm. And then I think another way to try and neutralize this pass rush and neutralize what the Cowboys can do is I think they're going to lean into, into the run game a little bit. I think, again, against outside zone, the Cowboys have a sixth of – I think they're 16th in the NFL in EPA per play, giving up on outside zone runs. You kind of want to attack the edges of that defense instead of running directly up the middle. I think especially with the health of the Cowboys defense kind of being in question as we come into this game, like I said, at, at corner, at defense to tackle, you're going to see them try and lean into a little bit of the outside zone, 
You're going to get them into play action, not necessarily bootlegs, because you don't want to run Trevor Lawrence right into Micah Parsons on a bootleg or Demarcus Lawrence, but it'll be straight play action, and they're going to attack whoever's on the other side of Trevon Diggs. Dallas is 24th in DVOA against number two receivers. They're in the top 10 against number one receivers. Pretty much tells you the Trevon Diggs effect of, okay, we have one guy over here. Let's just throw it to the other side and throw it against this other guy. So I definitely think the process and the results are going to be Let's find the other guy opposite of Trevon Diggs and hit him with quick game. Hit him with quick game down the field, outside zone. This isn't going to be a fireworks show like it was last week against the Titans where it was just bombs away. I think this could be a more meticulous kind of game plan. Yeah, I can't tell you how alarming that is to just listen to you. So I think you said other guy like seven times or something. And it was every time I'm just seeing Kelvin Joseph, you know, getting a flag or, you know, he's, getting beat and I just I'm I'm really worried about this uh I was hoping maybe the Jags maybe wouldn't notice or something um but anyway that's so that's not good um but you know you know you this Jags team you know they after losing five games in a row in, in October they're now you know they've won three of their last five and they've got uh narrow wins over the Raiders and Ravens and then of course just the the beatdown over Tennessee um so, I mean, things are obviously looking up for the Jaguars. So I know it's too early to tell for sure, but do you think this win over the Titans is one of those that you'll look back in future years and see as a defining milestone for Doug Peterson? Absolutely. That in the Ravens game. I think I'm a huge anime fan. I'm a huge superhero fan. This reminds me of the beginning of a superhero story, the super, the training arc. or mm, kind of, It's a training montage. Yeah, it's a training montage. You need, <laughs> you need to figure out how to win. If you, I think it's a running joke now among football Twitter. The Jaguars have the only positive win, like win loss uh, margin of victory in the in the AFC South. They have a higher win loss margin of victory than the Minnesota Vikings, and the Jaguars are five and eight. What that tells you is there's a good team here, but they're also the third youngest team in the NFL. They just need to find a way to win. There are so many games during that lose streak where they just didn't know how to win. The Texans game where Trevor Lawrence just had a really off day, they needed to, they couldn't find a way to win. The Broncos game in London, they just didn't know how to win. Now you're starting to see them figure out ways to win. That is so important when it comes to a young, a really young team with young contributors on both sides of the ball like the Jaguars. It's just finding out how to win. We know the process is here. It's, again, the process and the results. We know the process is here. We see the process on the field. Now the results need to add up. And now you're starting to see the results kind of add up. If this Titans game kind of leads to the kind of the superhero story coming reaching up and we're starting to get into like Spider-Man, Batman levels of superhero, you're gonna we're gonna look back on this Titans game, the Ravens game, and be like, okay, this is when they found out how to win. This is when they put on the mask. Oh, every 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 time you say something, I, I get more terrified about about this game. Let, let's uh, let's switch if we can to the other side of the ball. Um, you know, since Dak Prescott came back from his uh, his injury, uh, I think it was like week seven. Cowboys have been at or near the top of the league in a wide number of offensive metrics. Then that was encouraging, but at the same time, last week they struggled against the Texans when the Texans played a lot of zone, a lot of two deep, a lot of four deep, uh, and a lot of sh- uh, sort of you know, um, sort of layered coverage uh, that clogged passing lanes, which is 
much to our dismay, looked a lot like strategies that, that, that teams were employing last week that stymied Prescott and the Dallas offense in the last half of 2021 after an explosive beginning. So I guess my first question is, you know, what, tell us a little bit about, about uh, Jaguars defensive coordinator Mike, Mike Caldwell's scheme. Does he have the scheme and the horses to employ a similar strategy? And if not, what do you think he's going to try to do to, to slow down and, and uh, you know, try to, you know, put a lid on the Dallas, uh, Dallas's offense? So scheme, I think so. Mike Caldwell comes from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. They play a lot of five-man fronts. They want to be aggressive. They want to blitz. But this kind of goes into the next part. Horses, they don't have the horses. Not at all. Not at all. I think – the injury Shaquille Griffin, who wasn't playing well before he got injured and now just put on IR, his season's over. Now we're playing guys, Tavon Campbell and Monteric Brown opposite Tyson Campbell, who is really good. Tyson Campbell's a really good corner one, but opposite of him, it is just really bad. They play the seventh most snaps of cover two, cover four, cover six, those two high shells that you were talking about. They play the, they play the seventh most in the NFL. Their EPA allowed on those plays is also the seventh highest in the NFL. Mm. So they play it a lot, but they're not necessarily good at it? Yeah, they play it a lot, but they're not good at it. And they can't blitz because their coverage isn't good. It's kind of a Mm -hmm. defensive line uh, coverage. It kind of is a whole thing on football coaches, football Twitter. How much of a seesaw is there? How much does pass rush affect coverage? How much does coverage affect pass rush? For the Jaguars... Their coverage is affecting the pass rush. The pass rush can get there, but the coverage isn't good enough right now. And I think with Trevon Walker has a high ankle sprain, he's day-to-day. He may or may not play. We'll figure out. But that's going to be a huge hit to the pass rush as well. And another thing I think is going to be huge is passes over the middle. The Jaguars are dead last in DVOA allowed on passes over the middle. The linebackers have not been great in pass coverage. They're playing a few young guys, Chad Muma, Devin Lloyd, are both rookies. Devin Lloyd has been rough in coverage this year. Chad Muma's more of a run a run defender. If they can get the Jaguars in play action, find passes over the middle to Dalton Schultz, Steve Lamb in the slot, that's going to be a really good game plan. So I kept hearing you guys talk about how terrified you were of the Jaguars offense. Let me kind of build y'all back up a little bit by saying the Jaguars defense is not that great. It has been a it's been a roller coaster of a season for this Jaguars defense from going from being an exciting young group we talked about early against the Colts and the Chargers to kind of just falling directly off a cliff. They're 16th in DVOA against the runs. They're a good defending run. They're in league average defending run team, but they're 30th against the pass. It doesn't matter how well you defend the run when you just give up easy third downs in the passing game. So I think the formula for the Cowboys is going to be attacking the middle of the field and attacking like kind of like how I said with the Cowboys, Javon Diggs, find the guy opposite of Tyson Campbell. Because that that's ultimately where de- uh, teams find the most success against the Jaguars. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, one one of the you were talking about their linebackers. The the place where the Texans really played well is is their their linebackers. Christian Kirksey in particular had an, a monster of a game, and and um, you know they they were they were dropping and getting their hands on balls and tipping balls, and you know it, it was like the the seam between the basically between the safeties and the linebackers was 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 narrow enough that Dak just couldn't find guys open there until the very, until the very end, really. And uh, I'm not looking forward to a, a, a repeat of that. So what you're, what you're telling me has got me calm, calm down just a little bit. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. My poor old aching heart can't see, can't handle two weeks of this. 
Yeah, I think <laughs> Mike Caldwell wants to play a style of defense like the Buccaneers, where he got where he gets five guys rushing the passer. He wants to be blitz heavy. Mm-hmm. He wants to do that. He wants to be make his linebackers these multifaceted tools. But you really can't do that if your coverage isn't holding up. And the, and the Jaguars' pass coverage has been really bad this year, mm-hmm. downright horrible outside of Tyson Campbell. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Cowboys attack this defense from passes over the middle to pass on the outside to try and find the weaknesses in this defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, well, I mean, the Cowboys could be in luck too, because, you know, Dak loves to go over the middle. You know I mean? He's, he's always looking Schultz's way. It seems like, seems like more, more times than maybe he should, at, you know, at times. And of course the, the Cowboys have been employing a lot of lamb, you know, running across the, the middle too. So uh, yeah, that, that does make me feel a little bit better. So thank you JP for, uh, you know, mentioning that uh normally this is the time where we ask our guests to you know begrudgingly tell us how much they're going to lose to the cowboys by but uh you know you've been smiling all show which is kind of a you know again a little unsettling but uh so (laughs) so right now i mean this is it so tell us who's going to win this game and, and give give us a final score prediction so i think this game is going to be close if Dallas comes out sluggish, I think if Dallas comes out the way they did against the Texans, the Jaguars can beat them. If the Cowboys beat themselves on offense with turnovers, with sloppy play, mistimed routes, wrong routes, I think the Jaguars have the offense to beat the uh, Cowboys. The Texans didn't have the offense to beat the Cowboys. But I just think Dallas has too much offense for this Jaguars defense. I think the Jaguars defense is still struggling, especially if Trevon Walker doesn't play. There's too many guys injured. There's too many got too many holes in the pass coverage. So ultimately, I think the Cowboys win 31-28. It's going to be a high-scoring game, I think, because they're going to try the Jaguars are trying to go blow for blow. But there's too much offense for the Jaguars defense right now. What about you, Rab? So where where's your mind at with uh Man, I'm I, I I sort of see I'm looking at a couple of different outcomes. The first is this, you know, the, the, as you've both mentioned uh, in recent weeks, the Cowboys have sort of played with their food, and the games have been close, basically going into the end of the third quarter, and then they've, you know, they had the uh, of course the sort of you know historic fourth quarter explosion against the Colts, but they also you know they extended the lead against the Giants. Giants got a garbage time touchdown to make it a little bit more respectable, but they you know they basically took took over that game. I don't know, though, that they can win another close game, right? I think if the game's close, they lose. I think that if they, if they you know, you put, you put the, uh, hit the nail right on the head, um, JP, when you were talking about, uh, you know, keeping it close and getting turnover. So one of the things, one of the things that, um, you know, one of, one of our, one of our friends, uh, produced recently he said he's been looking at epa and it's like if you take out the cowboys turnovers their epa has been like plus 12 plus 14 against teams so they've been beating teams by two scores in terms of just pure epa taking away turnover plays obviously turnovers are huge but they had they had you know a big positive epa in turnovers against the colts and negative epas uh, against both the giants and the texans which keep, kept those games close i think if they if they turn the ball over, it's going to be a close game, and I think the Jaguars are going to win. I don't, I, I you know, I you were talking earlier about young teams learning how to win. I, there's a tremendous amount of evidence that shows that close games are basically a 50-50 proposition. 
young teams learn how to win because they learn how to extend leads and they learn how to keep pushing even and they, and they don't relax in the third and fourth quarters so they get that double digit lead so if there's a weird play or something they're not it's not gonna it's not gonna mean the ball game i don't i don't think that the cowboys can just continue to win close game. I mean, maybe they do but I, I, so I sort of see two two outcomes one the Cowboys stop playing with their food. They they see the Jaguars as a threat. They 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 focus all week. They come out scared and they play them a little bit more like they played Minnesota, where it's a nice clean game. Um, and they win by fourteen. Uh, the, I think the other outcome is the the Jags win by three. You know, and and you know, I I I I'm I can't choose between those two. I just feel like it's going to be one of those. I, I I don't think the Cowboys can win another close game because I feel like. The odds are against them. They, they've already they've already sort of got their share of, of close wins this year. How about you, Dan? Yeah, Rabs, actually, you know, I think that I agree with both you guys. And, and I have the same feeling. I, I feel like it's going to be it's going to go one of two ways. And I think I mean, obviously, you know, this is one of those the Cowboys should, should have lost last week and they could be angry about it and they could be coming out and they and they could send a message and, and we could see the, the good version of the Cowboys. You know, then they could come out there like they did against Minnesota. Um, but I also think that there's a, there's a little bit of kind of like a arrogance to this team that I, I don't know if the focus is where, where it needs to be, because this is, this Houston game wasn't the only game where they went into the fourth quarter with things being, you know, neck and neck, you know, it's been like that quite a bit actually, uh, for the Cowboys recently. So I, I honestly think that their luck is going to run out. Uh, I, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm calling a Jags upset here. I think it's going to be 25, 24. It's, I think it's going to be close. Uh, there will be some offense here and there. There'll be some defense here and there. But I think the Cowboys, they just kind of, they're going to mess around and they're going to end up not taking the Jags as seriously as they should. And they're going to lose it. So that, that's my prediction. So I, I think, think you, the, make a, you go ahead. Sorry, JP. I think you make a good point when it comes to the turnovers. And if you look at the Jaguars' last two wins against the Ravens and the Titans, the Ravens committed two turnovers. Jaguars won. The Titans committed four turnovers. The Jaguars won handily. If you look at the wins against the Colts and the Chargers, the Chargers and the Colts turned the ball over both times. This Jaguars defense is a lot better when they're first forcing turnovers than when they're not. If, they, if the Cowboys do decide, like, hey, we're going to come out the way we did against the Texans, we're going to turn the ball over a lot, we're going to make a lot of mistakes, like you guys said, this is a very winnable game for the Jaguars if the Cowboys come out sluggish but I do think with the Eagles game in the horizon with the Eagles looking the way they do this feels like like you said this feels like one or two outcomes like it's either gonna be a really close game or I think the Cowboys blow them out because they need to send a message to the Eagles like hey next week this is Mm -hmm. going to be for the division Mm -hmm. we are we are coming in full force but like you guys said the turnover is going to be huge the Jaguars are at their best when they are forcing turnovers. Yeah, and speaking of turnovers, in the last five games, Mr. Prescott has thrown seven interceptions. And do you know how many? Well, of course you do. How, how many that uh, Mr. Lawrence has in those five games? Nada. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, protecting the ball is going to be, you know, paramount. And the Cowboys, so I think they just feel like they can, they can win despite turnovers sometimes. And I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the case here. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm 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 uneasy about this one. Yeah, I think I think the Cowboys' strategy really, uh, you know, when you when you talk about complementary football, I think they're trying. The thing they're trying to do is is 
press and push because I think they, they feel like they've, they've got more talent than most teams. And ultimately the thing that the Cowboys do very, the very best is, uh, is rush the passer. And so they feel like if they can get a lead and get, get teams one dimensional, then they, then they've really got it because then teams are having to pass against their pass rush, which is the best or one of the, one of the couple best in the league. And, um, so I think what's happening on offense is they're trying to push to, to instead of instead of just kind of you know getting methodical scores or, or you know accepting field goals or whatever I think they're really trying to they're really trying to push uh, put the you know put the pedal to the metal so to speak and what that what that is doing is resulting in first half turnovers you know I think I, I think Dak has been very very uh, good at, at protecting the ball in his career this year not so much and I think that that's a philosophical shift which you know, and it, it makes a lot of sense from a kind of like, you know, um, total, total sort of game planning kind of perspective, but it also has served to keep lesser teams in games for longer. And so uh, I'm, I'm curious to see whether they, whether they continue to do that after the last couple games have resulted in like first half turnovers against giants and, and, um, and uh, Texans or, or whether they, sort of decide, you know what, we, we, this is a game where we need to practice playing clean football because if you turn the ball over against Philly, you're done. You're they will done. put 40 on you easily. Yeah, you yeah you're, you're done. You, you, Philly's not the kind of team you uh, – that's not the kind of food you can play with, right? So they got to play clean against Philly. And so um, my hope, my fervent hope is they understand that and use this as a game to practice playing clean and and maybe, maybe don't uh, be quite so aggressive, you know, take – Throw, throw, throw it away, live, live to, to play another series. Yep. But we'll see, man. It, it's uh it's going to be fascinating. This is uh this is, it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird game. I would not have predicted, you know, back in April when the schedule came out that this game would have, uh would have so many storylines and be such an interesting, interesting game. So it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. I did not think this game at the beginning of the season would have massive playoff implications for, for both teams. Right. Both teams. This is insane now that I'm thinking about it, and it's just really cool as a Jags fan. Now we're at reps games with playoff implications. This is crazy. Hey, I mean the Jags. The Jags are the kind of team like I don't know anybody who can root against the Jags. Jags are just a fun team, and so you know, I mean, I, I I hope you I hope you have a miserable weekend this weekend and a glorious rest of the season, my friend. So listen, thanks so much for coming on and chopping it up with us. I really appreciate it. Before you leave, please tell the people where they can find your fine fine work. Right, you can find me at SB Nation. I write all the time there about football, whether it be college, NFL, football, um, any anything that you see funny on Twitter, I'll probably write about it. I'm also on Twitter at Acosta32 underscore JP. I tweet a lot about football. I tweet a lot of fun football clips. I have a column every Friday called Establish the Fun, where I write about things I think are cool in football because football's fun, and I like to establish that. So just follow me there. Follow my writing. See what I'm doing. That's awesome. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks so much, dude. Thank you, JB. No problem. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on again at such short notice. I really appreciate it. That was great. No problem. Thank you, guys. All right. Good luck this weekend. All right. You too. Well, I'm going to be a broken record, but every time we bring a guest on from the opposing team, I learn so much about the, about the, uh, the opposition. And that's particularly true uh, when we bring a guest on from like our AFC opponent, because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth to follow the, the sort of ins and outs 
uh, of the NFC South. And so when we brought our Colts guest on, we, we brought our Texans guest on, and now with our friend JP, I learned so much more about what's going on. And I'm actually really excited to like watch the AFC South race because it looks like it's a, it's at least a two, if not a three team race. It's going to be really interesting. I can't believe that you can't have a division that is competitive. I mean, what's going on with these other divisions wraps. You can't have divisions that can play, give, give somebody some competition. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I'm with you. No, JP was awesome. I mean, I tell you, you know, I mentioned it earlier. He was just all smiles too, and I was, it was actually getting, I was getting uncomfortable because I didn't want, you know, our opposing, you know, team follow riders to be so, you know, thrilled about this upcoming game. But uh, certainly he is, and you know, the Jacks were playing well, and it was, it was great to, great to hear all his insight. I mean, he gave us a little bit of something to be hopeful for too. So I mean, I. I do expect it's going to be a good game. And um, one thing I was going to mention, Raps, is you, you brought it up at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, the Cowboys did sign T.Y. Hilton. And um, I think that's the good news is, is we can kind of like maybe just hopefully just not no longer talk about that other person, you know, that everyone, the Cowboys wanted. And the Cowboy fans are going to secretly try to convince themselves that they're happy about this. And I think that like we should do with every you know, veteran minimum signing that the Cowboys go after. We need to temper our expectations. You know, he is, mm-hmm. there's a reason he's getting what he's getting. Uh, but also at the same time too, there's no reason to not be excited because look at the Dante Fowlers and all the J. Ron Curry. I mean, the list goes on. The Cowboys are, have done an outstanding job of filling these, you know, Johnson Hankins. And you did, I mean, it's so perfectly understandable to be, to be excited about this too, but I'm not sure if it's going to hit dramatically change things for the Cowboys as far as suddenly Dak's just going to have that option that's going to be available because it just stretches the defense too much. So I don't know exactly, you know, what to expect there, but uh, I don't know. I'm certainly hoping that uh, he can definitely contribute and make this offense, you know, a little better because I, I feel like, I feel like we need that to happen. I, I just, something does not feel right with this Cowboys offense and it just makes me uneasy. Yeah, so so let me let me ask you let me ask you a question in the wake of our conversation with JP and and the fact that you know we both sort of identify that this could be a game the Cowboys lose, especially if they're going to come out and turn the ball over and keep it close for three you know three plus quarters. So let's assume that I mean so you know we've been thinking okay the Cowboys have to keep winning and then we have to we have to kind of hope that the Eagles lose one game and then the Cowboys beat them on Christmas Eve and and that's that's the Cowboys road to winning the division. One of the things I pointed out to several people, and I think we've talked about it in our conversations, is that requires the Cowboys to win eight games and then go into the playoffs and win three or four more. Right. That's really, really hard to do. And so, you know, one of the things that that Mike McCarthy does really well is uh, he does a great job of getting his guys rested, getting his guys to week 18 uh, you know, or, or week 19, you know, the first round of the playoffs, as healthy as possible, et cetera, and as rested as possible. You know, like against the Texans, Micah Parsons looked tired. He looked beat up. He even said it to reporters afterwards that playing on the defensive line is much harder because he makes contact every play. And as a linebacker, there are plays where he doesn't make contact or only makes minimal contact. And I I mean, if Micah Parsons is run down, isn't the same explosive self, which he didn't seem to be like when he was chasing Jeff Driscoll down on a, you know, sort of a, a quarterback keeper to the edge. No, normally the old explosive Parsons would have caught him and tackled him right around the numbers. Yeah. And, and so I'm starting to now think that 
a loss wouldn't be the worst thing because I just don't know if they're going to be able to catch the Eagles anyway. No, it's interesting you say that because it actually crossed my mind that, especially with the, the news, I mean, with the recent thing with Terrence Still and then the Cowboys not not even knowing who they're going what they're going to do at right tackle. They're, they're going to do some sort of um, rotation thing. It sounds like from what I'm hearing. Um, so, and it made me think for a second. It's like, would the Cowboys be better off if they actually just, you know what, figure this out. We don't know. We don't know who's going to be where. Would they be better off if they just kind of like took the approach, the, the you know, the, the, the long approach, the scenic route where it's like, you know, the best thing for us is to be ready and be our best come January when it counts. And yeah, it'd be great to win the division. And, you know, we certainly always be striving for it and stuff. But um, I think that it should not come at the expense of not being able to get yourself in position to, to play your best football. And, and it, may mean, it may mean we might have to sacrifice a little bit of, you know, some Josh Ball reps or some Peter or Tyler Smith on the right. I mean, who knows? We don't know. You, you got yeah. that going on. We got, we got Kelvin Joseph. You know, we got to figure out, do we, do we know if we need to give him help or can, can we trust him on the, on the outside, things like that. And just, yeah. And it's, I think it's something to, to consider. And, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, you remember in, uh, you know, a few good men, you know, and, and when, uh, Debbie Morris telling him, you know, if you think you can't get them, you know, you know, you're talking to Daniel Caffey about going after Colonel Jessup, you know, if you think you can't get them to say it. And I feel like if the Cowboys think they can't get this division, then they need to kind of back it up and like look look at the big picture and um you know make sure get themselves ready because that to me is more important than taking down the east. Yeah, I, I think you know being ready to beat whoever their first round opponent is. Let's say for for argument's sake, it's Tampa Bay. Um, is so much more important than than beating the Eagles. It, even though it'd be so much, it'd be so satisfying to be able to catch in, in the Eagles and win the division, and you know, rub it in the face of their despicable fans, etc. I, I think that you know, obviously, the the most important thing is that they're ready. And like you said, there's still a bunch of questions they they need to answer. And I think this is this is one of the things again that McCarthy and his staff do really well is they see the season as. Um, a kind of training ground to allows them to to develop players and to answer those kinds of questions. And I think there's, there's now a, a, you know, a brand new question at right tackle. Right. And so rather than say, okay, we're going to plug Jason Peters in because we don't want to lose, you know, this is a great opportunity for them to see what, see what ball can do, you know, see what Josh ball is made out of. And it's, you know, he, as you said earlier, he wasn't as bad as people. People thought on the on the sort of second to last drive, but uh, for the most part, when they were running the ball, et cetera, earlier, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter and third quarter, um, he, he did he did he did fine. And so it's possible that that they'll be a much better team if they sacrifice the present, but allow him and maybe some of these other young guys, like as you were saying, like Kelvin Joseph, to develop. So they really know what they have. So they're not going into the, into the postseason with any questions. And so, you know, would you rather go into the postseason without questions and knowing who your guys are and knowing that you're as healthy as you can be um, and play three road games? Or would you rather go into the postseason, um, maybe still having to play three road games because you didn't catch the Eagles, but let's just even say you catch them, um, but still not really knowing who you, who you, who you are, or what, what your solution at right tackle is. I, it seems to me knowing what you got and making sure everybody's ready is probably more important because postseason's a crapshoot, dude. 
you know you're playing good teams you uh you know every every edge you 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 need every edge you can get you need and so the edge of knowing and knowing what you can call and all that stuff it's a huge it's a huge difference it's a huge boost yeah and i'll tell you what another thing too is it's going to be just as satisfying to go into philly and beat them as it would be if we're beating them in, in dallas so you know it it doesn't even matter to that 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 game is what's going to matter anyway and i tell you what there, there's gonna, there will be a lot of satisfaction with uh, you know the Eagles thinking they're number one and stuff, and the Cowboys. I want to be the guy. I want to be the team that knocks the team out in the division round, that, that keeps them from go, advancing. You know, it, it's you know the, it's the Cowboys' turn to to be on the other side of that. So yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think uh, getting ready is is uh, is the best thing, and that that's uh, that would serve them better than uh, just being able to. Um, you know, just win win the division and and say say not be ready. But uh, but speaking of getting ready, I don't know about you. Um, we got we got to get ready for that matchup coming up. Uh, you know, we got the Christmas Eve matchup against the Eagles. I'm looking forward to that game for sure. And of course, I'm looking forward to uh, the activities that we'll have next week as we get ready for you know the Eagles Dallas week. Um, that will happen next week. But that is all that we have on our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the blog, Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating. Write a review wherever your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any who you think should be playing right tackle, or um, you know, when, when's the last time somebody tried to scam you? Uh, let us know. Hit us hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Phantom24. And Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-E-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver blue, and we will catch you later. Class dismissed.